Hello, and welcome to another episode of Daily American Presses Chatting with Abby. It has been a couple weeks since I've recorded. Um, I don't know if you had seen my tweets, but uh, I had a good friend pass away uh, last last week on Monday. So I've been taking a little bit of time um, tweeting less, and I didn't I didn't record the podcast last week. Uh, this weekend is the funeral and all of those festivities, but I did want to go ahead and record for you and not, um, I think that sometimes I'll just use any, any excuse to not, um, be consistent with something, whether that's, um, swimming or writing or recording a podcast, so I figured it while I don't really want to do this right now, it's probably better if I just do it. Um, so today on the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about my friend who died, and I want to talk about the supply chain issues, and I want to talk about Alex Baldwin and the rights response to him. And then I have a couple, um, well, one book and one movie that I want to talk about just a little bit. So, let's go. So, first of all, my friend um, friend and co-worker, someone I worked with at Freedom Alliance, um, he was the director of programs. Um, his name was Josh Miles. He was a um, decorated, very decorated um, military hero, gunnery sergeant Josh Miles, um, United States Marine Corps. He fought in the Battle of Fallujah. Um, he had Purple Heart, among other, among other um, decorations, and he was very, very good at his job, uh, helping other veterans um, deal with the physical and spiritual wounds that they received in war. And I don't know what our organization is going to do without him. Um, but I know that we existed a long time before he came on board and we will continue. Um, Josh is one of those rare human beings who just knew how to build up everyone around him. I never once saw him tear somebody down. And I think that that's just so uncommon in human beings. Not just in this day and age, but just in all of history. So uncommon for somebody to be completely focused on building other people up. And it's a real shame that we don't have him anymore. Um... So, uh, Friday, Friday is the funeral, and then, um, he will be buried in Arlington, which is appropriate. So, um, moving on from that, um, just personal update, um, I wanted to talk about supply chain issues. Now, I have seen tons of photographs on the internet, um, showing massive supply issues at various stores and I haven't seen those issues where I am and that doesn't mean they don't exist it just means that um, 
these supply chain issues are affecting different parts of the world differently. And I have a couple words of caution um, for the conversation on supply chain. The first is, this is one of those issues that can be self-fulfilling. If you get people worked up about a supply chain issue, you can create a supply chain issue because people will panic shop. And we've seen this. We saw this at the beginning of COVID. We've seen this every big storm that ever hit Maine when I was growing up. People would clear out the shelves of, of milk and bread. But that doesn't mean that the supply chain issues aren't very real. It just means that we do need to be careful with how we interact with it um, so that we don't, in our hoarding, um, make it so people can't get the basics that they need to survive. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that we also have, and this is, this is well documented, we have a work shortage. We have a shortage of labor, which means that sometimes... When shelves are empty, it's not necessarily because the goods don't exist. Um, it could also be, at least in part, that they're not being restocked throughout the day because of labor shortage. I've heard some people who work at some of these stores say that they don't have enough people. They don't have enough staff to restock throughout the day. So they stock in the morning and they, I'm sorry, they stock at night and then, um, whatever gets taken off the shelves throughout the day, they just don't have time to go into the back and refill the shelves. So there's a lot of different things going on and it's unclear how much is actually being caused by goods not getting to the stores um, and or goods not coming in at a normal rate if people are hoarding and panic buying. So those are just things to keep in mind, some nuance um, to the conversation that, that I think is important. Um... The other thing is, I think that us as Americans have gotten so used to living on such a slim margin. We've gotten used to being able to go to the store every day, multiple times a day if we want to. And there's, it's taken a while for anybody to even recognize that maybe it would be a good idea to have some things stockpiled. Now, I'm not... I, again, I, I don't think hoarding is a good idea, and I don't think panic shopping is good for society. If there are already shortages, it's not particularly responsible as a member of society to go and hoard a bunch of stuff um, when there are other people who, who don't have anything. Um, there's just... If everyone is that selfish, then society does break down. However, you do have to take care of yourself and your family, so when you are able to, not in the moment of crisis, but in moments of, of peace, it is a really, really good idea to have a certain amount stored up. Now, I'm not a doomsday prepper. I, I find um, documentaries about doomsday preppers incredibly fascinating. Um, and the idea does um, appeal to me to to feel that security of having a year of supplies on hand, but that that's just not me. However, I think what I do want to build up to in, in my house is about three months of supplies. So I know that if something happened, if there was a hiccup in the supply chain, if there was um, a, a breakdown, 
along some lines, I would have enough and I would have enough to share. So I know that that doesn't help people right in this moment if you're having trouble getting a certain good. Um, and I, I'm kind of saying both things at the same time, A, you should stockpile, but B, you shouldn't panic shop. But I think a good rule of thumb for all areas of life is to give yourself enough margin that you're not constantly betting on everything going well all the time. Give yourself enough margin to get to work on time in case there's an accident. Give yourself enough margin in your finances to say, maybe I have $100 I could spend on something fun this month. Or I could put it aside so that next month, when I randomly have a flat tire, I can deal with that. Um, and I think that a lot of people, a huge percentage of people in this nation, do not think in terms of building that margin for themselves. And they just rely on the government to fall back on that social safety net that people talk about. And it's part of being a responsible adult that you do have to build that margin for yourself and not just expect other people to pick you up. And I know that that can be really hard to hear for people who do have absolutely nothing extra that they can put aside. Um, And that's a completely different conversation. But one thing I want to say right now about that is sometimes you're working hard and you're not getting anywhere because you're working hard in the wrong direction. Um, If you... You could put 8 hours, 12 hours of work a day into pushing against a wall and you're never going to push the wall over. And so I think it's important to... You have to have both. You have to be working hard. You're you're never going to get anywhere if you're not working hard. And then you have to be making sure that that you are applying your effort in, in, a, in a productive direction. And I think that a lot of times you're so close to your own life that you don't necessarily have the perspective to see maybe when you're not pushing in the right direction or you're pushing against way more resistance than you need to be. Um, and, and those things, sometimes it's somebody else in your life who can help you find some perspective on, on your labor um, that can be one way or just trying to take a step back in your own mind and look at things objectively but um, for example I have many friends who work in some sort of real um, some sort of I completely lost my word Food service and retail. Yes, there it is. I have a lot of friends who work in food service and retail who have been doing that for years and who don't have a college degree. They are very good at their jobs, very competent. And when I ask them why they don't apply for a higher paying job, a a desk job, something that would um, be easier to maintain, um either less hours or less difficult hours, they say, well, I can't because I don't have a degree. I'm not qualified. And the thing is that nobody, nobody told me that. And so I just didn't think I had that limitation. I didn't have a college degree when I got my first desk job. 
I had experience in hosting um, at a restaurant, so I had picked up phones for that particular job, and I had experience um, in, in hospitality at that restaurant. And those things were valuable to the church that hired me. They wanted somebody who had that hospitality and who was able to interact with other people. And that was really all that they needed. And they were able to train me on everything else. And I think that, that a lot of people don't recognize how translatable skills are. And they just, they don't even try to apply some somewhere to move up the um, to, to upgrade their job, to make their life easier. They don't even try because they're afraid of failing and they're afraid of that rejection and they don't think it would be a worthwhile use of their time to apply or to try. Um, and so people stay in jobs that they hate, jobs that um, that are hard on their bodies, jobs that aren't paying their bills, and they don't even try to find something better. Um, and a lot of people, they just, when they need a job, they, they apply for something and then once they get it they just act like they're stuck there as if they don't have choices and especially right now with labor being so short everywhere um, a lot of people could upgrade their jobs pretty easily um, because it's a if you're if you're the one offering your labor you're you're a popular person in today's society um, where people don't want to work so that's just something I would encourage you to think about is you're not stuck where you are. We live in a country where you do have the right to sell your labor to whoever you want to sell your labor to, to, to go and find a job that you love and that does pay your bills. And I'm not suggesting to quit your job and refuse to work until you find the perfect thing, but I am suggesting to always uh, even as you're working at one place, to be looking around and seeing if you can find something better. Um, my husband is very, he has a good job um, and he's happy with his job, but he's always putting out feelers, um, putting in applications for other places, just to see, just to poke his options. And sometimes he gets offered a job and, and then we do a cost-benefit analysis and he decides not to take it and he decides to stay where he is. But at least he knows that he is always giving himself options and um, op opening doors. Some of these jobs that he's been offered, um, he could go back and apply again and they would take him again um, if he ever, if something ever changed and we needed something else. So um, that's just something to keep in mind. Um, I know I got a little bit off topic from supply chains, but the point is building yourself margin and not living a, a reactionary life, but, but preparing and giving yourself options and not acting like you are stuck and at the whim of what happens to you because you're not, um, you're not at the whim of what happens to you. Then transitioning very abruptly to my next topic. I, I know that um, Alex Baldwin Alec Baldwin has been in the news cycle for a while now um, because of the accidental, um, at least allegedly accidental discharge of the gun that, that killed um, a member of his set, which is incredibly, incredibly sad. Um, 
I just wanted to talk a little bit about the conservative response that I had seen on Twitter. And this isn't really the response of the pundits so much as the response of just the lay people on Twitter, just the regular, regular people's responses. Um, because it's, I think it's important. I think it's important and I'll explain why. So, um, Mr. Baldwin is just not a particularly nice dude. He's been known to have said some horrible things about cops who have accidentally um, or had to shoot somebody in their line of work. Um, he has said uh, he's been pretty firmly against uh, the right to, to own guns. And he just generally had a bunch of tweets that did not age well um, in light of his in light of the incident, um, where he, he fired a gun and killed someone on set. And the thing is that whenever something like this happens, whenever we hear a story that has a bare bones amount of details, when it's unclear whether a crime has been committed, it's easy to insert our preconceived ideas about somebody or preconceived ideas about the world and decide that we know exactly what happened and how justice should be meted out in that situation. And so people looked at the situation and said, oh, we hate Alex ba Alec Baldwin. We hate what he stands for. We don't like what he said. Therefore, he's a murderer. And probably he even did this on purpose. And I, I heard a, a lot of people on Twitter suggesting that um, it may have been purposeful or um, at least more fishy than the story sounded. And and I'm not saying it's not okay to raise questions um, and, and theorize about what might have happened, but this is exactly what Black Lives Matter does. And we critique it when they do it, so I'm going to critique it when we do it is when something like this happens, it is not our job as the person who read a two-paragraph news story to be the judge, jury, and executioner in the situation. Um, it is not our job to immediately decide that he committed murder and that he must go to jail. In the same way that it is not the Black Lives Matter activist's job to look at a situation where a cop shot somebody and say, yep, we already know it's because the cop is racist and he, he has to go to jail and justice has to be served without even seeing the body cam footage, without even um, hearing the rest of the details, waiting for the rest of the details to come in. And it's, it doesn't matter what your political position is. It's, it's not right, it's not correct to do that. You end up with a position that's not necessarily true and dogmatically yelling about something that's not necessarily true. It is entirely possible, whether or not we like Mr. Baldwin, entirely possible that he was nearly innocent in the situation. It's entirely possible that he had every reason to believe the gun in his hands was not real, was not loaded, and it's entirely possible that he was 
uh, shooting at the camera for the shot itself. Um, that he was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing in the situation and that it was an error on the part of the weapons master giving him a hot gun accidentally. It's entirely possible that a bunch of people made some really fatal errors. And that doesn't mean that um, Mr. Baldwin and or the weapons, um, the person in charge of the props, the weapons props for this movie shouldn't uh, face a manslaughter charge, at least. Um, we don't know. Um, and, we, and we won't know for a while until the investigation is complete. And so the people yelling on Twitter about, about Mr. Baldwin, I would just encourage a little to take a few steps back and to say, we don't know. Just because we don't like someone doesn't mean they're a murderer. Um, bad things do happen uh, for almost no reason at all sometimes. And in the same way that a cop can kill someone and there could be... It could either have been a complete accident, a fair accident, or a justified reason um, that they had to, they had to uh, shoot... In any of these situations, regardless of what your political position is, I encourage you to take a couple steps back, wait for the evidence to come in, and wait for the investigations to conclude. And then, when everything is out, then absolutely have an opinion about, about it. You don't have to blindly trust the system, but I do encourage a little bit more humility and a little bit more thought um, about these these things. So I... I was pretty disappointed with how ugly conservative Twitter got about this particular case. Um, in a lot of areas, I see conservatives doing the very same things that those on the left do. And it's like, if, if it's wrong when the left does it, um, it's wrong when we do it. And if we do the exact same things that they do, then, then we're not the good guys. There's... If you're going to be the good guy, you have to act like a good guy. Um, you can't... There has to be a distinction. Or we're just all bad and neither neither group of us deserves the country. If we're not the good guys, do we really deserve the country to be saved for us? Is a question I've thought a lot about lately. So leaving that, I have two items of entertainment to review. The first is a book called Horror Store by Grady Hendrix. Horror Store is a short horror novel set not in Ikea, but in a store that very, very strongly resembles Ikea. And I, I don't necessarily recommend this book wholeheartedly. I would give it a four out of five stars. And I can't say a whole lot about it without spoiling it. I didn't agree with all of its philosophical underpinnings, but I did find it incredibly fascinating. Um, it, it has some pretty strong critiques of how retailers, especially retailers like Ikea, specifically design their stores to create disorientation, to create um, that, that sort of confusion that can, encourages you to buy more than you otherwise would. Some of those 
psychologically sneaky ways of, of uh, getting money from people. Um, so it was a critique of that, but also a genuinely scary book, at least for me. I don't read a lot of horror, so I get scared pretty easily, but it was, uh, it was, I thought it was pretty intense. Um, kind of a, a story that spirals through the store in the way that, that, that you have to spiral through an Ikea in order to get out. Um, and I had never been to an Ikea before I read this book. So I purposely timed it, um, where I read the book and then I had a gift card that had been given to to me for my wedding a couple years ago that I still hadn't uh, used yet. And so I read the book and then I went to a local Ikea and uh, enjoyed the the scariness of it <laughs> um, that had kind of been suggested by the book. And I, I could really see it. I could see why that store inspired um, that type of horror novel. So that's a that's like an that's an experience I suggest. If you like horror and you like IKEA, read horror store and then go to IKEA. And uh, that's kind of how I celebrated the Halloween season this year. Um, for me, Halloween is I was raised to believe it was an evil holiday and a celebration of of evil and fear. And now I, the way that I celebrate it now is not a celebration of fear, but um, a confrontation of fear um, and a celebration of the triumph of light over darkness. And there's a lot of different ways you can approach Halloween. Um, and I think there's a lot of valid ways you can approach Halloween, including cutting it out of your life entirely. I completely respect that position. But for me, reading this book and going to Ikea was a really fun way to um, tackle Halloween this year. So and I, I just have a lot of things that I'm afraid of as a person. So it's, it's good. I think it's good for me, uh, spiritually to have a holiday where I try to tackle some more of my fear and ask myself, why does this scare you? And, uh, what, how do you approach this in a, in a more mature way, in a healthier way? So that's that. And then my last thing for you is that last night I watched Dune. Now, I had already read the book Dune by Frank Herbert, and um, it is, it's what you would call a cold sci-fi, um, and that it's, it's very, very technical. It's not particularly, it's not the kind of story that would be written today. Um, it's, it's a little bit more cold and distant and removed, but it is also incredibly thought-provoking, the story. And um, the movie was incredibly well done. It was very faithful to the book, um, including the jarring way that the part one ends is faithful to the, to the book. And um, very visually impressive and thought-provoking. So I do recommend seeing that. I saw it on HBO Max just because... Uh, of what I'm going through in my life right now. I just didn't feel like being out in public at a movie theater, but the visuals are such that you really should see it in a movie theater. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye and leave you. Um, I hope you have a good week and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.